Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who coached eight different NHL teams in his career. He won the Jack Adams Award for the best coach in his first year behind the bench in the NHL as he guided the 83-84 Flyers to a first-place finish, a Prince of Wales Conference Championship. He won 672 games as an NHL head coach. Of the eight teams he coached, all but two of them had winning records under him. It is an honor to welcome the man who is remembered most around here for being the coach who broke the 54-year-old curse, the man who guided the 93-94 New York Rangers to the Stanley Cup Championship, the one that will last a lifetime for Ranger fans. That team was honored Friday night in MSG, and it's our privilege to welcome the one and only Mike Keenan to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Coach. Thank you so much for having me, fellas. It was a great uh, weekend and a, and a quick uh, trip home and watching the Rangers again tonight. <laughs> you know, it, it was great seeing you again Friday night, and there was just so much talk about everything that went on that year. So first and foremost, for those who are not aware of this, the coach was diagnosed with prostate cancer last year, but things are going really well for you now with your treatment. Uh, and you're really trying to bring awareness to the illness as well, correct? That is correct. Uh, I got great support uh, at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. I elected to uh, go to Toronto to have this uh, brachytherapy, which is uh, uh, a procedure that they, they put... Uh, direct radiation seeds into the prostate to uh, kill the cancer, and it's been very effective. And, Coach, for those of you that did not watch the MSG coverage, looks great. I have to imagine that this weekend was very emotional for you, seeing all the guys there, with the exception of Brian Noonan, who was coaching, and Alexander Karpasev, who we lost eight years ago in a plane crash. What specifically did Friday night mean to you? Well, the, the thing that uh, I garnered most about the visit with the players was uh, uh, their ability to walk into a room someone hadn't seen each other in many years, and the bond was apparent. Uh, it was quickly uh, uh, evident to all of us that uh, they still had a, an incredible uh, like or love for each other, and I understood even more why we were successful. And by the way, Brian Noonan did fly in. He had, He's got a coaching assignment. On, I had a coaching assignment on Saturday, but he, he flew in for Friday night, and then he took off Saturday morning. Unbelievable. You know, there was so much hockey talk in the way the Rangers did it. They had the podium up there. You know, first uh, coach and Neil Smith spoke, and then what I like to call the core four, you know, Richter, Leach, Messier, and Graves were up there. Um, and one of the things I asked the, the core four was about the video that you showed at the beginning of the season of former parades down the Canyon of Heroes. And, and Mess had said that he felt that it validated his beliefs that the team was expected to win, and anything short of that would not be excess, uh, acceptable. But what people don't really remember about that team was the prior season, the team finished with a 34-39-11 and and record in the regular season, which was good for last place in the Patrick division. They missed the playoffs. Roger Nielsen, who was in his fourth season as head coach, was fired midway through the season. Ron Smith was the head coach. So I guess the first question I have for you is, walking into that team, what made you think that that team that had won the President's Cup two seasons prior and the team that didn't qualify for the playoffs th that season was good enough 
to dream of being in that canyon of heroes? What gave you that belief that that was what you wanted to show them? Well, first of all, the relationship that I had with many of the players going into the locker room and going into the season, and in particular, Mark, who I coached in two Canada Cups, two gold medal victories in 1987 and 1991. Uh, the fact that they had a superstar defenseman to anchor the defense, you need that to be successful. You, you, you need that number one sentiment. And Mike Richter was an incredible goaltender. We're obviously going to build around that. Adam Graves stepped up and had an incredible uh, year scoring goals, and we added a lot of pieces that were so very important. Uh, extremely talented young Kovalev, and then with Graves and Mess adding Anderson to their group, Tikkanen and Larmer was a huge addition. We actually essentially picked up an entire line at the trading dinner, if you consider Mato, McTavish, and Noonan. And then Gilbert, who won Stanley Cups, I was familiar with these people, uh, played for me in Chicago. Craig, uh, Greg has won Cups with the Islanders. So a lot of the pieces were put in place. And Zuboff became a star, our leading goal scorer. Uh, Bukaboon had the experience of winning. I was reflecting today of how many guys had won the Cup when, when we, we were finally put together at the trading deadline and and how that experience would come into play. Let's back up a little. My memory of this, and it's hazy because it's like 27 years going back to the, when they when they won the President's Cup oh, the first year, right. and they won there. And the feeling was they were underachieving because they didn't make it past where they should be in the playoffs. The year after that was an underachieving year, changing coaches. When you were brought in, what type of mandate would you give? What type of expectation? Did the Rangers management give you and say, we want to win the Cup, we wanted to do it? This year, you're given a deadline, so many years. What type of expectation were you given and mandate when you came in to coach the team? Uh, I think that uh, they felt I had a winning pedigree. Uh, they didn't put those demands on me, but I put those demands on myself and in turn uh, uh, built an expectation amongst the players, starting from day one of what I felt we should be focused on what our goal should be, the incremental uh, steps that we would have to take, whether it's development of the team, uh, the personality, the, the trades that we had to make. But I felt the environment was there. The support was there for sure. Stanley Jaffe, who was the, the chairman of the board at the time, was very, very uh, supportive. Bob Kukowski was very supportive. Neil was very instrumental when we asked him to make a trade. He was able to, to make those trades, which is an easy task. So a lot of the pieces, and, and, and you build those expectations by, by addressing the team and telling them, this is what the goal is, this is what we want, and this is what we're going to have to achieve as a group, as a team, and then in particularly as a family, and it came to fruition. We're speaking with New York Rangers uh, Stanley Cup champion head coach Mike Keenan. You know, the players as well as you and Neil spoke about those trade deadline acquisitions. And one of the things that jumped out at me was Neil's statement about one of the trades. He said it because he said that he didn't want to hear at the end of the season that he, want, he didn't want to give you an excuse to hear you say, well, I want a certain player and Neil didn't get him. 
Looking back, and I think you can answer this because you were also a GM at some point in your career as well. Let's say at the time the GM was someone with maybe a bigger name. Let's say like like a Scotty Bowman or a Bob Pulford, someone with like a little more cachet behind them. Do you think they just tell you no? And and that thought about you saying, well, the GM didn't get me a player, never enters their thought? W- was that almost like the perfect combination? Because, you know, Neil respected what you had to say, but he also, in, in a sense, feared that he didn't want you going public saying, well, and he knew you would. Uh, I, interesting you brought up Pulford's name because uh, I worked with Bob Pulford in Chicago and we completely changed the culture of that team and the transition over time. And and uh, he had the same approach as Neil. And that I would go to him and say, this is what I think we need. Can you accomplish this? And can you get it done? And can you get those players here? And I, I didn't, uh, you know, some of the acquisitions, for example, I didn't mention Kevin Lowe yet or, or uh Karpatsev, who was an interesting acquisition, and God bless his soul. Uh, Jay Wells, uh, uh, Healy, the backup uh, Richter. So, yes, uh, we had that discussion, and I had that discussion with the management group before I went in. I said, guys, the team didn't make the playoffs, so you have to be prepared and ready to make those changes. On the other hand, I've had so much experience. I hope that you're hiring me with the with the aspect of trusting my judgment and my evaluation amongst the other people in the organization besides the management, uh, as well as Coley Campbell and Dick Todd as the coaches. It's also interesting because aside from the talent, and Mark Messier mentioned this, that, and you did too, that you know, first of all, the trade deadline happened a lot later in the year. The Rangers were in first place. There were at that, I believe, the trade deadline came at game late. seventy-one yeah. games into the season. So you don't have a lot of time. March twenty-first. Yeah. So, so Mark Messier mentioned that there was a seamless integration of the the deadline acquisitions, and what he said about that was, on other teams when there were trades, there's always that awkward time where you're getting on the team bus and the new guys don't know where to sit, or they sit in one of the the other players that has been departed seat, and, and it's awkward. He said there was none of that with the, these trade. Di- deadline acquisitions. Do you attribute to that to, A, a lot of the guys that you acquired, you knew their personalities. You would coach them other places and you knew that they they would not blink coming into a first place team. How much of the personalities were talked about over and above the talent? Well, the, 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 the fact that we did know them, that I had coached them. Uh, Glenn Anderson, I coached in Canada Cup. And of course he's played with all the Oilers and, and that transition, as he he uh, stated on the weekend, was was very easy for him. Mato and Noonan, as I had had them for four years in Chicago, they knew what the program was. They knew what the expectations were. McTavish comes in, of course, he knows how to win, and he's also part of that that uh, Oiler core. So those late late acquisitions in the season. We were extremely confident because we knew who was, who was coming in. We knew them, and we knew our own team and, and how they would accept them as part of the group, as part of the family. So 1993-94 is probably the last really good year for Madison Square Garden. In terms, in terms of both the Rangers and the Knicks, it's been that long, right. making okay. making in, in, yeah. incredible Together. runs. Okay, right. okay. Rangers win the cup. Was pretty good Knicks, for the Knicks go, Knicks go to the NBA Finals. Did that? The fact that the Knicks were also 
going far, sharing the garden and sharing New York to some extent in terms of interest. Did that in any way, shape, or form affect you and the Rangers, or were you, were you so focused just on what you were doing to not even notice what was going on with the Knicks? Well, I, I definitely knew what was going on with the Knicks because Pat Riley and I shared the same office in Madison wow. Square Garden. Wow. <laughs> so Pat Love to be a fly on. in the wall in that office. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So Pat was going on to Game 7, and, of course, we were going to play Game 7. So, no, uh, there was a lot of respect amongst uh, the teams and, and the leadership of both teams. And it was actually, I think, energetic to have both teams running for a championship. And the same thing happened to me in Chicago. Phil Jackson was winning championships with the Bulls, with, with Michael Jordan, and our team was going to the finals uh, with the Blackhawks. And the city was alive, the energy in both cities, Chicago and New York. The, the cities were feeding off. The energy was there, and the players could feel it. You know, another thing that struck me, you know, the contrast again between you and Neil was interesting. Friday night, one of the reporters asked you about today's game and the changes made and which of the 94 guys would be best suited to today's game. And Neil raved about the size and speed and skill of today's players and pointed to a player who was traded away on the deadline for Glenn Anderson. He said that he felt that Mike Gartner's speed would allow him to compete in today's game. You, conversely, didn't care about the speed, skill, or size. You felt that today's players don't have that conviction of any of those guys from 94, and you, you, you looked over to the side of the room where all that group was assembled, and you said there wouldn't be one guy from that group that not only would play in today's game, but they would all thrive in today's game. Why do you think that group and that, those players could still play and be successful in today's type of game? Well, first of all, the, the thing uh, that people have maybe forgotten, and uh, I just watched... Uh, uh, the final game seven three days before I arrived in New York because I wanted to refresh my memory. I hadn't seen it since the game, the live game seven. When you're a coach, when you put the video away after game seven, that's it. But the speed of the game and the skill of both teams and, and uh, our, our team, the people that could skate exceptionally well on skill, uh, came to the surface and and. And likewise, I mean, you got the Russian Rocket, you got Jeff Cortno, you got Brown on defense. They had, they had a plethora of skaters as well. And I say that these people could play in this game today because they competed. I've never seen such heavy and, and, and edged competition as I saw in Game 7 between Vancouver and the New York Rangers. They, that, there was a lot, obviously, a lot at stake. And everything was on the line, but their compete level uh, was exceptional. So not only their compete level, their skill level was extremely high. That's pretty cool that you mentioned that that was the first time you've actually watched that game since you experienced it live. Watching that game, do some of the emotions that you felt that night come back to you, uh, you know, and like... I watched it again, and it brought back how agonizing those last 30-some-odd seconds were with the, 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 the scam icings that kept on putting time back on the clock, the final face-off. So did some of those emotions come flooding back to you? And additionally, was there anything in that game that you saw that you had zero recollection of when you saw it and say, I don't remember that? Well, first of all, uh, I found it a lot more difficult, and you, you may be alarmed by this, 
to watch it than to, than to coach it. Uh, <laughs> when you're coaching, you're so focused of, uh, in the moment and, and second by second and, and decision-making by decision-making. And then when I was watching it, I had a bunch of my, my uh, friends from university that I played with. They, they, in fact, brought the game down for me to watch. And I said, this is more nerve-wracking than standing on the bench. <laughs> but uh, um, the game was played, and I didn't, I didn't uh, remember it quite as well after I watched it, how vicious and mean and intense it was on both sides. That was just, I don't know, I haven't seen a hockey game like that since. Coach, this is Ryan Sherman. So Mark had mentioned that you showed the video right at the beginning of the year, and Ed, there, there's not only one but two beasts that you guys slayed that year, not only a 54-year drought, but a President's Cup winning team or President's Trophy winning team that goes on to actually win the Cup. So did you guys, how did you, you know, fuel that pressure into a positive throughout the year? And then when you hit the playoffs, did you feel like hitting the ground running, sweeping the Islanders really got you guys off on the right foot? Well, the thing that we did during the course of the season, it was interesting. Uh, as I said, we developed the personality by making some uh, really important trades and acquisitions. But we segmented the team in terms of the schedule and what we wanted to accomplish every five games and, and the direction we wanted to take and how we could get better and the things that we had to improve upon and the, the work that we put. I worked them extremely hard, as everybody knows, to make sure we were prepared for a playoff run, a deep playoff run, and, and, and uh, an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. So, um, it, you know, we showed them the objective from day one, the mission, and then we implemented a program that, that really complemented and uh, continued to, to make those improvements. I guess the part that uh, you can bring to the table as a coach is that it's much better to understand than to be understood. And that's conflicting for them because they, for many times, didn't understand me. <laughs> Not all of them. Some of them understood what it took. But others had to be educated by the teammates, uh, by the people that won, and the direction of the coaches. I mean, I learned a lot about winning from my experiences in, in championships prior to there from great athletes, including Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky and, and the great players that I coached for Team Canada. They taught me a lot about how, how, how to win. Even before, prior to that, going to Philadelphia and the, and the championships teams I had before that, you learn a lot from the players. You know, it's interesting you mentioned watching that game, you know, how bitterly contested and how vicious that game was. So, you know, let, let's take a, a time machine, go back to that, you know, trade dine acquisitions. You know, if there was an analytics department that every single NHL team has now that feeds the front office data, you know, with Corsi numbers, faceoffs, Fenwick, and every possible stat available, do the Rangers trade Tony Amante to Chicago for Mateau and Noonan? And how could... You know how do these the, the new age GMs and analytics department factor in what a Stefan Matteau is going to do in a, a double overtime when fatigue sets in and it's a game seven where it's do or die? How how is that able to be quantified? You know, are are some of these front offices missing out on players' heart 
because they're boiling everything down to a statistic. Well, they may be. Um, statistics are great in terms of measurement, um, but they're not absolute. There's a lot of tangibles in a human being that aren't disclosed with, with the statistics. And uh, as I said, uh, the experience of knowing people, of knowing players, uh, of knowing the game, having the, the uh, hockey sense, if you like, and the human sense uh, is got to be weighted in the decision-making. I understand and appreciate the statistics, but I also understand and appreciate maybe more the human element that's involved in connecting human beings that have to play a team game, that have to succeed and, and do things together, um, I think that's incredibly important in terms of team building and development. You know, Mark and I have talked about this over the years, that hockey is the one sport where a captain really has a demonstrable role in terms of rallying the team on the ice and in the locker room. From your perspective as a coach, as somebody who's coached Stanley Cup champions, how important is a captain generally and how important was Messier this particular year? He was extremely important, and he had great support, leadership in the room and experience and players that he really trusted. They had won so many cups together. I think it was Mark, uh, Essa, um, Mac T, Bukaboom, Kevin Lowe. So there was a trust factor there. He was the conduit between myself and the players. Um, when I pushed them or asked them to do things that Maybe they thought they couldn't do. He supported it. Uh, I can even remember a comment Greg Gilbert gave on the weekend. He said, I was really pushing him one day. And uh, Greg said, come on, Mike. And Mark just was beside him. He just turned and said, you do what he tells you to do. <laughs> well, and Greg played for Al Arbor and won the Stanley Cup with the Islanders. So, uh, you know, that was a, a support factor that Mark uh, completely believed in that, we all have to be working as one at every moment of the season. And that's what was really captured in the group. And you can still see it live today when they collected the group together and the team together. And, and Mark describes it as a family together 25 years later. It's funny that you just mentioned how Mark uh, describes it as a family because there's a picture on my Facebook that someone took while I was interviewing Mark, and Mark has this huge smile on his face. And the reason why he had a huge smile on his face is you bring up the family aspect. And I asked him, you know, there was a story that when you guys went on the road that, you know, Glenn Anderson's mom would make these salmon sandwiches for the, the team, and she would have them over, and, and everyone would eat. And, and Glenn told me that, any team that he's been on, the record where his mom has made them salmon, salmon sandwiches is something like 23-3. and three. And I, I said, you know, it was a story that was talked about a lot back in the day. And I asked him, how important really was that? And that big smile came across his face, and he said it was part of building the family. You've been around teams. You know, that's something that, that it, it kind of happens organically you can't force feed that you can't just sit you know you you as a coach can't tell a player to have his mom make sandwiches for the team so I, I think that it was a perfect storm you had great talent 
and the personalities that allowed them to become a family and little things like that as well as you know starting the season in London you know with only 25 guys where they were away from New York to before the season even started so they were away from the press how important are those little things during a season to to make a championship you can go through, uh, first of all, I think they're extremely important. And you can go through all the, the aspects of, of building a system and, and imp- implementing tactics and, and preparation and, and roles amongst the group and the team and what, the, what their job is going to be. But there's some parts of development of the chemistry, as it's described, or we like to talk about, that are really um Something that that is environmental to a certain extent, but uh, these are people that we knew, and they knew how to win, and they had support, great support from their from their families uh, as young players, and I think they just understood this is going to be part of what we do. I, they, the guys talked about it. Uh, I've been out to me many times. All the things, all the activities, all the functions they had, everybody was included. All the players, their wives, their girlfriends, whatever the case might be, they were going to do this together. And, you know, I, I made a little speech to the current team in the locker room. I, I, I forgot to tell them one very important thing. We talked about work and team building and playing for each other and responsibility, but I forgot to tell them. You also have to have a lot of fun. Uh, most fun comes when you win, but they also have to have a collective, uh, I think, uh, type of levity at times. You know, you showed that video, the Canyon of Heroes, and, and a lot of the great teams that had that experience. You got to have that experience. How did it compare to the video? What, what was it like for you seeing you know, the outpouring of love for that team by an entire city? Well, it was overwhelming, even uh, although we had great support from the fans all year long, and of course when we won, and then to see them demonstrate that kind of support in a parade setting was just incredible. Uh, I really enjoyed it because I had my family on my float with others, and to see the, the, the smiles on their faces, to give them the opportunity to experience this, it doesn't happen very often. And, and all of us brought our families on, the, on those big floats, besides the players and the, and the support staff and the organization, and the people from the organization. We all brought, brought our families as well. I brought my parents who are now deceased, and they talked about that for the rest of their lives. Looking back at the way things ended here in New York, you win the Stanley Cup and you leave. The, the ultimate, you know, pardon the pun, the ultimate mic drop. Uh, <laughs> you coach 11 more seasons, five different teams in the NHL. The Rangers, the first three years, are still competitive, um, losing two times in the conference semis and once in the conference finals. Then they go seven years without making the playoffs. So a couple of questions here. How tough was it leaving that group that you still speak so highly of today do you regret leaving? And in your heart of hearts, if you stayed, would there have been, as Eddie Olchek said, heave ho two in a row? Well, first of all, I didn't want to leave. So we don't have to get into the circumstances of why I did leave at this point. 
and I am writing a book, and it will be explained in a book. Uh, and I did felt very strongly that we did have an opportunity to maybe have a dynasty there. Uh, I know a couple of players were a little bit older, but most of them, and it, it was kind of a, uh, a different view today. Those players wouldn't even be considered to be old back then. They were. So I, I felt, as Eddie said, we've got a chance to win, repeat uh, because we gained so much experience. We had uh, all the pieces in place after the trade by, deadline, so we really didn't have a chance. Or we didn't play a full season with that particular acquisitions of, of players, and I felt that we could we could reestablish that the following season. Of course, there was a lockout, and uh, the sh- season was shortened, but um, yeah, I was extremely disappointed, and in hindsight, what I've done, what I've tried to stick it out under the circumstances, I probably would have. Lastly, I'm not sure how many people noticed this, but at the end of the ceremony, the 94 guys walked the red carpet down towards the Zamboni exit. You made sure to shake each and every player's hand um, on both sides. You know, some of the guys, depending on where they were, just shook their hands. You went from side to side, and you made sure that you shook each and every player's hand from the current team. And then at the very end, you had a, a fairly long embrace with Matt Zuccarello. Uh, why was it important to you to, to make sure you acknowledged each one of those guys on the way out? Well, to me, again, it, it's the aspect, you guys are a team. I had just addressed them in the locker room prior to that, and I wanted to reinforce that message, you are a team. That includes every single person that's on, uh, on the ice, that wears the jersey, that wears the equipment, and... <laughs> The message I gave everyone was, let's get to work. Coach, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight, as well as so many great hockey conversations I've had over the years with you of various NHL ranks. Most importantly, I speak for so many Ranger fans out there for being a huge part of a hockey season that, for a number of us, surely will last a lifetime. Thanks so much, Coach. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great to have uh, the opportunity to to meet a lot of familiar faces from the media and also and obviously to be with the with the players my players and our coaches staff and and, and all the people that were involved we look forward to the book and when the book comes out we surely will have you back on because that, that's a you know if there's an amazon wish list if it's on there already I, i'm putting that right at the top <laughs> it'll be a little while before it's finished but we've we've uh, we've begun writing it and and uh, uh, we're spending a lot of diligent time to make sure that the message is going to be completely accurate and delivered well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Head coach of the 93-94 Stanley Cup champion New York Rangers, I can never say that enough, Mike Keenan. We'll be back right after this message.